What's up, guys? Welcome into a brand new episode of Chargers Weekly. As always, joined by Matt Money Smith. Fresh off a, a groundbreaking ceremony in El Segundo, Money. Uh, I wasn't able to attend, but it, it looked awesome, and uh, it's just a, a new era of Chargers football. Yeah, you know when you when you roll up there, and you know I was fortunate that the Chargers asked me to to sort of MC it and uh, get old Mayor Chris Pimentel out there, and uh, the guy that's running the whole show from uh, whatever construction it is. She's now I'm already blanking on his name, Roberts, his first name, but I don't want to call him Robert. Seemed like he had a much more formal title than that. Uh, Dean Spanos <laughs> was there, obviously, and spoke, and Justin Derwin all out. It was a it was a heck of a celebration. Uh, a lot of folks, Jeannie Bus, Linda Rambis came out, Luke Robitaille came out. Of course, they're just right up the block from awesome. the Kings facility, right up the block from the Lakers facility. And sort of my theme was, as I, you know, just kind of opened the, the ceremony, you know, I, I've been covering sports here for 26 years and, and I've spent a lot of time in El Segundo, you know, when they opened Hell South, as it was called in 99 for the Lakers, you had those back-to-back-to-back titles that immediately followed and were at practice every day in El Segundo. And then the Kings kind of get on their little mini role there. It wasn't Stanley Cup run, but you know, with the debtor lappy kind of crew and, and they knock off the Red Wings in the playoffs. And so El Segundo was kind of a spot, you know, where where things happened. And and now it still is. And to kind of have, I think, that support and to see Jeannie there and to see Luke Robitaille there and and um, just sort of the connection between the professional franchises here in town was was really neat. And the other thing that stood out to me, Chris, was just proximity and and to have a what I believe is logistical advantage. You know, we've we've traveled with the team, you know, they're in Costa Mesa. And when you're going up to LAX, sometimes the 405 is not being too kind to you. And you can sit I'm on sm- that bus. I'm smiling for, because it's logistics off the rip, yeah, baby. Uh, yeah, right. <laughs> so I just think about, you know, players sitting on the bus for an hour, sometimes, you know, hour and a half of traffic's really bad, even though we got the police escort, nothing you can do. Um, this is a mile away. I mean, you shoot yeah. straight up Nash and you're at the Atlantic terminal and, um, or Sepulveda and you're at the Atlantic terminal. So, uh, logistically seven miles, I think it is from SoFi three from LAX. And it's just a giant, it is a giant parcel of land. I mean, it is three full football fields and a state of the art training facility. that's going to be built there and is, is, you know, going to be with these chargers probably be for, I would, I don't know, at least a, a quarter century, three decades. Yeah, it's a big deal. And to your point with El Segundo, man, the, the Lakers, I worked for the Lakers for nine years. I, Grand Avenue, Nash, yeah. uh, where, where, the, where the Kings and Lakers have their facility. Um, just to have that association with those teams, be up closer to Inglewood, closer to SoFi. Orange County is beautiful. Don't get me wrong, but uh, I don't think players will mind living in the South Bay, maybe in Hermosa, Manhattan Beach. Uh, but you're right. It, Getting to LAX is like five minutes. So logistically, if you get on the road, you you hop on uh, you hop on what is it Century or whatever, and and you're there in like two minutes. Yeah, get on a plane I mean it's just straight home. up. So you'll you'll pull out of Hughes Way and you'll you'll head up Sepulveda and you'll be at LAX. I mean you're there. It's 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 that easy when you can. Plus you know, look, I know this isn't the most sizzle you know of conversations, but you come home. And you land at LAX at 2 a.m. because so many of our games are on the East Coast. And, you know, it's a long flight back. It's tough playing football on the West Coast. It's a heck of a lot tougher than playing in the Midwest or on the Eastern Seaboard. Those teams have so many short trips, you know, 40 minutes from New York to, you know, 25, 30 minutes on a flight from New York to Philly to D.C. to, to Buffalo, Chicago. You're centralized, you know, for the West Coast, you know, you wear it. And it's why when you look at, 
the travel for all these teams year in and year out, it's either the Seahawks, the Rams, the 49ers, or the Chargers that end up with the most miles traveled year in and year out. So to have a bus trip after you land at 2 a.m. back to a facility that's two minutes away instead of 45 minutes away before you get in your car and you can head home when you're putting head to pillow at 4 a.m. Now, now, you know, you get an extra hour, I think, that you end up saving. And that's going to help a lot. I think, you know, we've learned so much uh, about, you know, sort of taking care of your body and, and what rest does for you and things like that, that, that this is this is a big upgrade. You said it. I love Orange County. You know that I've lived here for, for 22 years. Uh, I love love this part of, of the greater Los Angeles area. Certainly would never leave it. Um, but for the Chargers, this makes a ton of sense. Yeah, uh, there was I asked for questions. Uh, one of the questions, and I don't know if you know this or not, will the Chargers be able to have training camp there? I know we're a couple of years out, but I mean, it, it's big enough for sure, right? That's the plan. Yeah, no, that's the plan. They uh, in terms of, I think they're talking about close to 400 parking spots. Uh, mm. And the way they they talked about doing the field for training camp, it would be um, it, it would be fan accessible. They'd be able to build bleachers in there. It, it, they have plenty of parking where they would be able to accommodate fans coming in. So I think that is the plan. Yeah, training camp will be held on site uh, in El Segundo. There you go. And like I said, it's a, it's a great place for fans to come out. You got the beach there. Go to training. You can you can do everything in a in a in an afternoon, buddy. Go to practice and then hit up uh, uh, Manhattan Beach and there you go. Go to Simsies and call it a call it a day. Surf El Porto and <laughs> get your ass Porto. kicked and, and have a great great time. Surf ass pipe if it's January and you know maybe contract something that you don't want. Um, I'll, I'll say this though. You know, living on the you know living in very close proximity to the beach and and El Segundo is no different. Yeah, we'll be talking about some early morning practices out there because you know the wind gets whipping. So oh, in the yeah. afternoon, that that wind, you know, like yesterday, everybody out there was like, "Oh, I didn't, I didn't realize it got this windy." It's like, "Oh yeah, it's uh, it's it's three thirty, and the wind gets whipping." In the you get that marine layer in the morning too. We get, the, you know, exactly. you don't you don't have the sun. Great. It'll be fine. Great, It'll be good. Get used to some morning practices. Um, hey, last week was was awesome. We had a we had a great podcast breaking down the schedule. I, I think you guys liked it, and we appreciate the feedback. Um, one of the things that they asked us, buddy, and we just didn't have an opportunity to do it because we taped the podcast before the schedule came out. Right. They're like, why didn't you break down the, the anime schedule release? And I, was, I felt terrible. I'm like, listen, it's not like we ignored it. Believe me, if, yeah. if we would have seen it, we would have talked about it. <laughs> we, uh, we, we had access to the schedule before all you foos had it. We, uh, we were able to knock it out and get that thing fired off the second it was released. And yes, they, uh, they had the, the anime embargoed. They would not let us see it because they knew how darned excited I'd have been. And I can't keep my mouth shut. I got loose lips. There's nothing I would have been able, you know, there was, if you haven't seen it, I'm sure you have, if you're listening to this podcast, but you know, yeah. if you haven't seen it 20 times, you've likely missed something because there are so many little nuggets in there and props to the chargers for signing off on it and throwing shade at, at all their opponents. You know, nobody was safe. Everybody except nobody for I think was the, safe. I think the Texans. I, I, I still have not. I didn't find anything on the Texans. Uh, what about the side. Dolphins? The Dolphins seem pretty tame. Yeah, too, I think you're no? just kind of, you know, you're riding the Dolphin. I guess you're that's, you know, yeah, there was nothing subtle. I, I, there were no subtle uh, digs there. So, but outside of that, you know, there's plenty. Uh, what was family your, what trust was your favorite respect. Dig? Oh, that's my favorite. Family trust <laughs> respect is my favorite. Moving forward. That's <laughs> listen. That's, there's no it's Raider there's no week rival. already. <laughs> there's no rivalry between uh the jags and chargers that i know of but that was my oh, favorite slide well just incredible we'll leave it at that and, that and the, the subtlety of that one it, we know we know who was underneath that that jaguar mask right but oh yeah 
the TV's had Phillips 90 yard touchdown when he's yelling at Yannick and Dockway. Oh yeah. From years ago. I mean, those are the subtleties at each slide. It was incredible. Yeah, it was, uh, it was great. I'm glad everybody was entertained by it. I say it repeatedly. I I'll say it again. It's the best social media team in all of sports, not football, all of sports. And it's not, you know, Jason and, and Megan and everybody that, uh, that, you know, Andrew, you know, obviously had a big part of that who uh, contributed yeah. to it. Just what a heck of a job. Yeah, it was awesome. All right, let's push it forward. And lost in, I think, the schedule release, buddy, were some pretty big signings for the Chargers on defense in Bryce Callahan and Kyle Van Noy. And, you know, I'm looking at what this defense looks like right now. It's a completely different operation, man. It is a completely different unit. Um, there's a mix of some guys who were here last year when we talk about the elite players and Darwin James and Joey Bosa and you know, I, I think we're all hoping Kenneth Murray takes that leap in year three. Um, a few other guys in Asante Samuel Jr., Michael Davis, Nas Adderley. But uh, Brandon Staley made a concerted effort to get guys who he knows and who knows his system. Uh, Kyle Van Noy, the exception, but a veteran who, who brings some versatility. Just your thoughts on those two guys specifically and just how remade this unit is right now. Yeah, I'll start with Kyle. Um, I do this thing with NFL network called broadcast Boot Camp, And it's, um, it's all the, the football players, some former, some current that are interested in getting into the media. Um, and Kyle was there this year. And so I do the radio play by play and, and, you know, they sit down and they, they play the role of analyst and you kind of talk them through, you know, how you become a, a radio analyst and, and what the mechanics are of that. And Kyle was one, one of them. And I'll tell you, man, there's a couple like Cam Hayward was another, and there's a few people that when they're next to you, you just see the size and like the way that, that Kyle's built, just the, the heaviness of his hands, the thickness that he carries. He is, um, that, that's a, that's a physical player right there. Um, you know, when, when you see the measurables and it's, you know, six, three, two it's like, Oh, a 250 edge. And it's like, now nah, this guy is a, uh, is a brick, you know what? And he's look at 31, you go through, his statistical measures year in and year out. It was weird that Miami got rid of him. That was such a strength because he had a heck of a year for the Dolphins. Um, I got it pulled up. They here. paid him a had? lot of money, That's right? Six sacks. I, I, they paid him a bunch of money, but he had six sacks. He yeah. had a bunch of quarterback hits. He had a couple forced fumbles. Uh, you know, last year in New England, he has another five sacks. You know, three years ago, six and a half sacks. Like the guy is always in that, you know, three and a half to seven sack range. And he's just a game wrecker, man. The guy is so that's a like I'll just start with that one because and you know, then we do the big picture of hey, I need guys that so you know that know the system that I can run and feel like you know we can run effectively. And so that brings you to Callahan, who was with him in Chicago and Denver. You know, we already talked about Sebastian Joseph Day and now Morgan Fox, you know, and these are Look, these are important signings, and 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 I bring it up because they're not going to be listed number one. You know, Kyle Van Noy is not going to start ahead of Joey Bosa or Khalil Mack on the edge, but when those guys are getting a breather, and we know sometimes Joey will take an entire series off, um, and I'm sure they're going to want to do that with with Khalil as well. I mean, that he's on the other side of 30 now, so to be able to to plug in a Kyle Van Noy, and now you know Chris Rumpf can can perhaps be even more fresh. And instead of getting three or four series, he gets one or two and he's incredibly fresh for those. Like that's, that's what they're doing now. They're getting value depth signings um, on that interior line. If you feel comfortable about all those players and you can run them in waves and you can constantly rotate in 
the Gazianos, the Morgan Fox, you know, with Johnson, with Joseph Day, with Forrest Merrill, with Jerry Tillery, like freshness is important, man. Depth is super important, especially as the season wears on. So I think, you know, that's kind of what you're seeing now are these depth signings and, and players that Brandon Staley knows have succeeded in his scheme um, and for him as a coach. I think the biggest difference going into 2022 versus last season, was there one guy, was there one guy on defense that was in Brandon Staley's system before last year that played for the Chargers? I can't think, it, you know. That was Chris, I'm thinking in a big, uh, I guess Chris, Chris Harris, yeah. Chris, Chris Harris, Harris was techni- with Fangio. Chris Harris technically, but he was with Fangio. He wasn't really year. under Staley for. Yeah, I mean, I think Rams. it's more the Fangio system. Um, yeah. You know, I that's where that's the foundation you know it's kind of like Sean McVay is yeah it's Sean McVay no doubt but it's it's really you know Kyle Shanahan which is really Mike Shanahan it's really that you know which is really Gary Kubiak right like it's you know that stuff you can get lost in that in that maze and I mean heck we can go all the way back to Air Coryell when it comes to throwing the thing around and trace it all the way back to there so um but yeah I see what you're saying yeah I don't think um Chris played yeah I think Chris did play with Chris definitely played with Brandon. I mean, he was, you know, the outside Brandon, linebackers Brandon, coach. But, yeah, outside linebackers. But I guess yeah. I guess my point is, is okay, everybody returning has one year right. under Brandon Staley. That's a great point. The guys that he brought in, Morgan Fox, Rams, had six sacks under Staley, his career high. Uh, Troy Reader, Rams. Sebastian Joseph Day, Rams. Khalil Mack, we know that relationship. Um, Bryce Callahan, you mentioned. You mentioned Bears and Broncos with Bryce Callahan. So – the guys that they brought in know Brandon Staley's system, and some of them have intimate knowledge of it because he, they were he, he was their def- defensive coordinator with the Rams. Uh, so I, I just feel like there's a great deal of familiarity this year as opposed to last year, where you you got you have guys that either a maybe weren't the right fit for what he wanted to accomplish, or b just didn't know it and it took time to learn it. So you know this complete revamp slash having a year under your belt, I think is a big deal for this defense. Well, I think the, um, the comments from, from Asante Samuel from, I don't know if it was earlier last week or if it was two weeks ago, I, I don't think we've brought him up. Um, but you know, when he had his media day and he was asked, you know, what the difference between last year and this year. And I mean, he didn't even hesitate. He's like, it's not even close. It's like last year, yeah. you know, I, all I thought about was where am I supposed to be? And am I in the right place? I think I'm in the right place. I'm not sure, but I think I am. He goes, now? He goes, I'm looking around the defense, and I'm like, oh, okay, I'm here. Hey, he's there. So you know what? He might go here, which means if he does, then I'm going to move here. He's like, I am on the three levels ahead. I'm, I'm thinking about different scenarios inside of each play and what I'm going to do based on what these other people around me are doing. Last year yeah, was just, what is my single assignment, and can I execute it? So – to have that sort of familiarity, look, we know, and and it's one of the reasons why football's, you know, the number one sport in in America because it's chess, you know, it's it's eleven pieces moving in concert and trying to maximize their movements together to make a play successful. Um, you know, basketball can be a one on five or a one on three or a three on one endeavor where other members aren't even involved in a play. We know for the most part, baseball is a one versus one batter versus pitcher until the ball's put into play. And then it might involve one or two others, but football's 22. I mean, it is 22 people that are involved in the execution of a play. And man, when you're trying to learn a new system and one you've never played in before, and one that is as complicated as the one that Brandon Staley runs, 
uh, it can be tough. Now, I think the one thing to point to is, look, when he came in and took over for Wade Phillips, the Rams got it right away. I mean, clearly. And I, and I think that maybe speaks to what you're alluding yeah. to, which is, you know, they just had the personnel that worked out for the gap and a half that he wanted to play up front. Uh, the corners to be able to to play, you know, either man or zone press or or just kind of run quarters like he likes to run a lot of. So I think now that he's able to play, okay, I need guys that can play this way. You know, they couldn't do it last year be just because of the financial situation and just the way that, that the team was was built. You know, by the time he arrived, so it's it's a different team, man. It's a way different team on defense, especially. Yeah that that was a that was a Gus Bradley personnel. Yeah, team, four for three, years. cover three for years. Gus play has played. Gus is going to play it in Indianapolis. It's that he is next. Uh, played it in the Las Vegas last year. You're absolutely right. Could not be more. I shouldn't say could not be more different. Still defense, but it's just it's, it's a lot different. A lot different. different with what you're asking. It, it, and somebody like Michael Davis, who you know was groomed by Ron Miles and and kind of worked his way up and and learned to play a specific way. There's going to be a, a natural adjustment. So just to have a year under his belt, um, I, I hope that he gets even more confidence in 2022. Uh, but, you know, I, I want to give Popper credit because he, he tweeted those guys and basically saying that all three levels of defense, there's familiarity in the scheme with guys that they brought in. So I, I think that that's cool. Um, I got some uh, some questions too, Money. I wanted to run a few by you. Uh, with all the additions on the D-line, is any of the few returning players' jobs really safe? And – I guess not. I mean, I, I think um, that's you, a good you, question. You, you spoke to it. Uh, it's a very healthy rotation. And, and yeah. I think you, you have a lot of fresh bodies. But um, when you bring in Sebastian Joseph Day and Austin Johnson, I I, I assume those guys are going to play uh, oh, yeah. quite a bit. Those guys will start. They'll they'll play the majority of the snaps. And I think Tillery will start. You know, I think he's going to get a crack at it, even though they didn't pick up his fifth year option. And certainly his future is in question. Uh, with the team I think he shows enough flashes but the second there's a a slip up that's the difference you know is is now if it's if it's not Jerry it, it can be you know Fahoko who I thought played great last year Christian Covington who was re-signed who had great moments you know last year you know I feel about Forrest Merrill about Morgan Fox about you know coming in so yeah I think I think it's less um I think the snaps are less important as weird as that sounds because it just feels different with mm -hmm. the depth that they have you know i think you know like you mentioned what popper alluded to that all the guys they brought in have experience at each level well so do the guys that played last year i mean that's the thing is like all of these guys now have a year of experience yeah. gaziano and merrill and fajoco and covington and tillery they all now have you know the only one that doesn't um really in that whole group is is abonia the the rookie you know tito yeah. so but he's it wouldn't surprise me if he worked his way in there. I mean, as well as he played for UCLA. Another point about the about the uh, the rookie class, the DB battles are going to be fierce, man. Like they're bringing DBs in. Like it's not just Callahan yeah. and JC Jackson guys who are going to start. I mean, they brought in a lot of young DBs that I think are going to be hungry and, and going to push some of these guys. Mark Webb's another guy from last year who got hurt, who I think is going to be in the mix. Yeah, and I think, you know, so much of that, and and we've heard Coach Staley talk about it repeatedly, you know, it's going to be interesting to see which of those guys ends up making it. You know, only 53 can make it. They're not all going to make it. Some are going to be practice squad guys, especially with how wide, you know, the, the practice squad roster is now. But he likes DBs on special teams. You know, that's what he is all about. He believes they are the best special teams players. So, to me, that's 
kind of where, because they had a number of picks, you know, there was multiple picks in the sixth and the seventh. So I think that's where you're going to see the, the Jasir Taylors, the Dean Leonard's, um, those players, they're going to be battling for those final spots. You know, I think less in the defensive back rotation and a little bit more in the special teams impact that they can make, you know, and I think that goes with, you know, a, a lot of those, we talked about Troy reader. Is he going to play snaps? Yeah, absolutely. But he's going to probably be, a, he's going to be a core four special teams guy. And he's going to be expected to be sure. one of the best special teams players. I think that's where, um, where Xander Horvath is going to make the, the team. If he's going to make the team is, you know, their last pick in the draft late in that seventh round. If he makes it, it's, it's cause he's going to be another one of those great special teams players uh, you know, that's going to be a battle to keep an eye on too. I think between he and Gabe, Gabe neighbors, cause they're not going to carry two fullbacks. It's going to be yeah. one of those two, I think. So that's going to be one to keep an eye on. You mentioned, you know, Mark Webb, who's I think probably going to slide behind JT Woods. I just, I really get excited about what he brings in, in terms of getting a lot of snaps and playing those too high with Nas and his ability to cover and just kind of keep the top on of a defense, um, and allowing Derwin to move around a lot more. We talked about that last week or the week before, you know, following the draft. So, um, yeah, all those I, I think are, are interesting. You know, Loey Gilman, who's, you know, kind yeah. of, you know, what's his future, you know, again, he's certainly had great flashes and moments. Um, but is he going to be pushed out by Webb or, or woods and, you know, some of the players that made it as undrafted free agents a couple of years ago, come on hall, the Devon Campbell's like, what is their future? It's, Hey, it's a great problem. It's a, it's a great problem to have because last year was a problem. You know, and I think we saw it. We saw it in what game was it, Chris? It was the home game. Uh, it was the Chiefs game on Thursday night um, yeah. <laughs> when when Tavon had to come in. And immediately Patrick Mahomes is like, there he is. Let's go get him. And they picked on him. Um, they picked on him all game long. And same with Kamon Hall. I think it was Kamon Hall that was out there. It was Tavon and somebody else. I can't remember who. But they had both backup corners in. And it's kind of when it started slipping away from them. Yeah, that, that was the game where Derwin tried to go, couldn't go. Yeah, um, exactly. Was, oh, that's what it was. Yeah, it was Mark Webb and Tavon yeah. that uh, that got burned on the uh, Travis Kelsey overtime touchdown play. So for fans, training camp in, in preseason, like the battle in the secondary, like I'm, I can't wait to watch JT Woods in the preseason. Like, like yeah. it's, it's some of these young guys going against uh, the Cowboys and the Saints and I think it's the Rams. Um, British yeah, Saints Bolt, on the this, road, Rams, Cowboys, and they'll do joint practices with the Cowboys. That's so gonna be no fun doubt. Too. Yeah, I mean, come on. You know, OCC is going to be crazy when the Cowboys are there for joint practices for those that don't make the trip up to Oxnard. So that's going to be a heck of a lot of fun. It was fun with the 49ers. It's always fun. You know, Saints, yeah. 49ers, all the players, all the teams we've had out. But having the Cowboys is going to be pretty darn special. At British Bolt, who on the team needs to take the greatest leap forward this year? And subsequently, who do you think will take that leap? All right, let me think. Um, well, I'll start defensively, and and I'll go as well as he played last year. I think it's Asante. You know, I think you feel really good about, about J.C. Jackson. I think you talked about, you know, Mike Davis was was up and down. And I think, you know, if you can get that third corner settled, um, the second, you know, if, if Asante is going to play outside and can play outside to have he and, and, and JC, you know, that's phenomenal. So like, that's, that's one um, I'm still waiting for Kenneth Murray, you know, just because yeah, I know it's mine. there. Yeah. Kenneth. Sorry. I took it from you. So I, I know it's there. We just haven't seen it yet. Um, 
That's one. I think, you know, I'll give you multiple ones. I think Jerry Tillery, or he's not going to be on this team. You know, he's shown flashes, you know, and flashes are great because you know, it's in there. It's just consistency. And I think for Jerry, it's, you know, not just being a, a, an up the field defensive interior defensive lineman, but you've got to be able to stop the run. You've got to be able to identify where your gap is and fill that gap. And that's been a bit of a struggle for him. And as big as he is, as long as he is, he ought to be really good at it. So I'd love to see a, a jump from on defense on offense. I think, you know, Josh Palmer, right? We talked about who's that yeah. third, who's that third receiver. And I think between Palmer and Guyton, you know, you would just love to see a little bit of progression there. I think for everybody clamoring for a receiver in the first round, Josh Palmer may have something for you in 2022, the way he closed the year and um, the way that Justin frankly found him towards the end of the year too. I, I, I think this is an offensive uh, a set of offensive weapons for Justin that he's, he's going to find anybody who's open, man. And, you know, th there was a question about the tight ends too, about uh, the fact that maybe there's a little bit more speed with, Parham and Gerald Everett, if, if Justin will look more to the tight end this year, and I think it's certainly a possibility, but if, if you take the tight ends out of it and you say, okay, we got Keenan, Mike, Josh, Jalen is the deep threat and Austin coming out of the backfield. I mean, there's like six or seven guys that Justin will not be afraid to throw the football to. Yeah. The, you know, you mentioned Palmer and it's like, look, one of the great, one of the great things about Justin Herbert, and it's not the case with a lot of quarterbacks, you know, they find their comfort zone and their security blanket, and that's where they're going. Just doesn't care, you know, unless you prove it's him not wrong. Care. He, I mean, fourth and 21, who caught it? Josh Palmer, you know, doesn't care. Um, if you're open, you're going to get the ball. So I think to, you know, to me, I think maybe it spoke a little bit to Jared Cook's age, you know, last year. But yeah, to have some athletes at that, because we saw it, right? We saw it two years ago. Um, at the tight end position, everybody ate, you know, everybody, Hunter Henry, Donald Parham, Steven Anderson, like everybody has some action. So I'm, you know, and you know, th there you go. There's another name, Trey McKitty, you know, to, to see him maybe blossom into more of a full service, you know, pass catching tight end because he's the best blocking there, tight right? end they have. It, it's there. It's, yeah. I mean, he's a, he's incredible. He, he didn't get a lot of passes thrown the way that, you know, th that Kirby ran his offense in Georgia. It was take care of the ball. My defense is going to win us games. So there wasn't a lot of opportunities um, for him, you know, but he's a heck of a blocker. And if you can get yourself a full service tight end, that's, you know, tied in, you know, that's just getting that why um, that'd be huge. That, that would be huge, but I'm anxious to see, I think with Gerald Everett, you got a little bit more, you got, you got a, not a little bit, you got a lot more athleticism uh, jump up there from Jared cook, you know, who's had a heck of a career, but I do think there were some drop issues with Jared last year. I do think there might've been a little bit, a little bit of trust, you know, sort of things or just not feeling like we're entirely on the same page with, with Jared last year. So to have Gerald instead of Jared, um, hopefully, like you said, we'll see some of that tight end production. Cause remember how, you know, Hunter, I'm trying to remember if it was it was one or the other. I want to say Hunter had a lot of touchdown action, but did not have a lot of third down action two years ago when Justin was a rookie. It was one of those two. I can't remember. So I'm anxious to kind of like, you know, just building on what you were saying there, you know, seeing yeah. that. Go ahead. Gerald's younger. Gerald's younger and he's ascending. I mean, each right. year he's gotten he's gotten better and better and better. Uh, he, he had an uneven quarterback situation last year with Russell Wilson being hurt and then Geno right. Smith and then. Golf kind of relied on Higby, I think, more than than ever um, during those first few years. But uh, I, I, I'm 100 with you. Like Justin does not care if, if Gerald Everett's open. Gerald Everett could have a Pro Bowl type season sure. if if Justin continues to find them. So uh, I think that that's another guy that 
you know, just some of these underrated signings, Monty. Like I, I talked about it yesterday. We did a piece on DeAndre Carter. I just I think that he's such an underrated signing and kind of gets lost in the Khalil Max and the JC Jacksons. I mean, this guy was uh, one of the best return specialists in the NFL last year, and he's got some juice as a receiver. I mean, he caught he caught quite a few balls and had three touchdowns on offense for the now commander. So I'm not saying yeah. he's going to get a lot of run at receiver, but he's a potential option as like a wide receiver five if, if let's say you want to keep four and in, in kind of lean on Carter. Yeah, or, you know, like we saw with Andre Roberts last year, you know, some of those creative jet sweeps, motion, you know, things like that he can be used for. But look, I think for – just for Carter, even if he doesn't do a lick on offense, we saw the difference when Roberts rolled in on special teams. I mean, how much Big. different this team was once he got back there and started returning kicks and could set the tone and just the juice it gives an offense when they're jogging on the field, you know, on the plus side, you know, because he's had a 45-yard kickoff return or, a you know, a 60-yard punt return. Or so even if he doesn't score, there's just – man, it just juices up the offense so much. Um, so, you know, that – and. Hopefully J.K. Scott's the answer, you know, at, at punter, because I think that's with all this talent that we've listed on defense, you know, to be able to win the field position battle, pin some teams deep. When you got Bosa and Matt coming off the edges, that's how you create serious issues for offenses. You know, they're pinned deep. They're trying to be conservative because they're so far in their own, you know, on their own end of the field. And next thing you know, you got a third and eight and you got Bosa and Matt flying off the edges. You know, that's that's how you tilt games. You know, it's a it's a it's an old cliche, but right. You know, it's the old game of inches. The margins are slim. And so to have, you know, an advantage on special teams, you know, with Carter now coming in as the returner, Scott as the punter, then that's, you know, I think that's something that needs to be acknowledged as well. Yeah. And these are all the things we're talking about. I mean, this team was nine and eight last year should have been in the playoffs. You improve the special teams, uh, you improve field position. You, you get guys in that know uh, the system on defense. You stop the run a little bit better. I mean, Nine wins becomes 11 wins pretty quickly. Um, so, you know, these are the things that the team's trying to address. Um, a, a lot of questions, Buddy, about this right tackle solution. Um, yeah. And uh, somebody says, Pip, a solid dev piece, but doesn't see him as a starter. I think that that's where they're going to go. We talked about this a couple of weeks ago, right? It's going to be a full-on competition. It's it, yeah. you know, that's it. It's as it stands right now. I don't see anyone else out there, um, you know, that, you know, I guess you can continue to just sort of wait it out, see if you can get a veteran minimum. I can't remember um, who's – I'm trying to think of who's out there. There's somebody out there that uh, – oh, Fisher's out there. Yeah, Fisher's still, out there. Who was coming off, you know, but he's played solely left his entire career. So I don't know if he's interested in flipping to ride it, you know, with however old he is, uh, 33 or something. But, um, yeah, I think you're, you're talking about, you know, Storm versus Pip. Because uh, Sawyer is going to be a guard, they've already talked about that with his his you know sort of the way he moves and you know maybe some of the issues they're concerned about with his feet uh, at the tackle position at this level. But you know he's proved people wrong. I played in the SEC, had play Alabama you know twice and and seemed to do all right there. But that to me is probably what it is. It's it's a Pipkins versus Norton. And look when you can help, you know when it's when when you've got Slater on the other side. It's much, and you have a lock, you know, and you have it locked down inside with, you know, Johnson, Lindsley, and Filer, then you can help, you know, you can just plant McKitty over there, running back, pass pro. We know how good Austin is on that front. So you can help out one tackle position. It's much easier to help out a tackle than it is a guard if you got a turnstile. And I think that's why they're more interested in keeping Filer there, um, you know, at left guard. Just, you know what, that's, that's a strength of this team. 
why would you break it up? You know, they feel great about Zion at right guard. So you got four fifths of the line that you feel really, really good about. If the right tackle is the question mark, just shade your help there. You know, you got a lot of tight end help and you got some running back pass pro over there. It's May 19th too. I mean, like I, I remember a month ago, what are we going to do at returner? We don't have a returner. Right. You get DeAndre Carter. So it's, it's not over that, that third wave of free agency is pretty long and you never know what's going to happen in training camp. You pick up guys last minute and they make a big impact. Um, this I is know an they, I know question. there's somebody out there. Oh, Dwayne Brown's out there. I'm just going through. Them yeah. Now. I was like, so, so yeah, let's just say these guys are holding out for a bigger deal and you just offer them the better and minimum. And they feel like, you know what, if I can go play tackle on an offense, that's going to be one of the top five offenses in the league. And I can protect Justin Herbert. Maybe I get a bigger contract next year. So I'll come in and take the minimum. Yeah. So there's Dwayne Brown, again, another, another left tackle. Um, we already talked O'Reilly reef. That's who I was thinking of reef is out there who got hurt last year, but he's a, he's a career right tackle. So that may be one to, uh, to keep an eye on. I mean, Melvin Ingram just signed with the Dolphins like two days ago, and yeah. he'll probably make an impact in Miami. Um, hey, this is an interesting question from Beckham Browning. Uh, what or who do the Chargers need to change the culture on balance? They have one of the best rosters, a coach going for broke, yet people naturally have more faith in the Broncos because of their intangible culture slash franchise. I'd argue that the, that the culture has, has shifted the last couple of years, and, you know, when you have – a team that that buys into what coach Staley's doing in his second year. I don't think it matters what the Broncos did in the mid 2010s or yeah, 1999, 2000. I would, I would just roundly disagree with that. Um, yeah. Just because of Derwin and Justin, I think when you talk about both sides of the ball, you've got a, a leader that his, you know, the players on this team are ready to follow them into battle. That's how you establish culture. Number one, do you have belief you know, in what you're trying to execute. And Derwin sets the tone on defense. I'd argue he's, you know, one of one of the best in, in, in the NFL at establishing culture on the defensive side of the ball and having guys wanting to follow him. Uh, and as is Justin. I mean, you go out on the field with Justin, you're like, we're going to score. You know, and it might be me yeah. that ends up getting the ball and I'm going to score. Um, this guy's been here for two years. Yeah, so like to me, and then, you know, I think they've established, I think there's a difference between culture and identity. Right. So maybe maybe they're talking about identity. It's possible. I don't know. But, you know, to have Lombardi back to put together a top five offense last year, to have Justin be, you know, sort of floating around in the periphery of the MVP conversation, uh, you know, in his second year and throwing for five thousand yards and 30 plus touchdowns. And, you know, that's that's that I think it's identity that maybe they're trying to allude to. You know, Denver has the no fly zone and that secondary is held. They keep drafting defensive backs. They keep drafting pass rushers like that. I get um, so that I guess that part of it, I understand, but I feel like, you know, the, the defensive identity can be, def you know, can be shown and defined this year because of a year in the system. Some players were not comfortable in it last year, the free agents they brought in, I don't think that's necessarily culture. I think that's identity. You know, do you, do you believe in what you're doing? Are you comfortable in what you're doing and being asked to execute? Um, and so I think that's, that's going to, that's going to take a big step this year. Yeah. It's a great point too. I mean, and by the way, of all the teams, like I would say it's the chiefs that would have the ultimate culture and identity, you know, of any of the teams in the AFC West, it's not the Broncos. It's, yeah. it's the chiefs that have the, Hey man, the congratulations. Just they're yeah, we're down 14. Scratch? We're going to win by seven. Like that's that's the Chiefs, you know, culture and identity. And it's it's as good as any in the NFL. 
Yeah, Broncos starting from scratch with a new coach and a new quarterback. I mean, I know that they have a lot of pieces and you got to put it together, but um, same with the Raiders. Brand new coach, brand new culture. Um, 100%. 100%. And by the way, Russell Wilson is, is great and celebrated as he is by some. Polarizing. Heard enough stories uh, from, from players in Seattle that did not like him, that just were not, that, that thought it was, you know, not genuine. That, you know, that defensive side of the ball was not crazy about, about Russell in Seattle. So be a little careful about, you know, hey, this is, this is a great culture. I don't know. You know, sometimes, especially when the, the identity of the Broncos is defense, you know, we'll see. It's very similar. We'll see how that, how that goes over. Yeah, that's a great point. Uh, Connor, this is a good question, too. At, at this point, what's going to be seen as a failure for the season or really success? Should it be Super Bowl or bust this year? I would argue going from 9-8 and eight to maybe 11-12 and 12 wins and making noise in the AFC, a loaded AFC with Buffalo and Cincinnati and the Chiefs and the Colts and the Patriots, and I'm missing three or four other teams. Um, I, I, making noise, maybe winning a game or two in the AFC playoffs, I think would be a huge step in uh, the right direction in getting to a Super Bowl. Yeah, to me, it's less it's less wins and and you know advancement in the playoffs that I would allude to for success. And it's more, you know, we were concerned about the offense last year. Hey, we got a whole new that now. This is Justin's fifth new offense in five years. What are we doing to this kid? Let's please not ruin the great rookie season we had. Well, he got better. The offense was better. So to put together, you know, the offensive line was brutal his rookie year, and yet he was able to overcome the worst pressure numbers in the NFL to produce the best pressure passing numbers that we've seen in decades. So it, that was like the goal from, for like when I think we were asked the same question on the pod last year. I was like, hey, man, let's, let's see this offensive line gets fixed. Let's see Justin, you know, pass on time and not having to deal with it under pressure all the time and whether or not they can take the next step. So for me, successful see look wins are weird wins and losses are weird in this league you know injuries are are a big part attrition's a big part teams and players that take huge leaps from year to year and create much better teams than you had anticipated that can lead to losses or guys falling off because they're getting old can lead to wins so it's less about that so for me like a successful season is offense stays where it was top five offense Justin Herbert is in the MVP conversation Two thousand yard receivers. You know, Austin Eckler is sniffing 1500, 1700. That's successful to me. The defense taking the jump and joining the offense as an elite unit, you know, with all this talent they have, with all the money they've spent, uh, with the belief and knowing that Brandon Staley is an exceptional defensive coordinator because he's done it on multiple occasions. Let's see that defense show up and then may the wins and losses fall where they do because you know if the defense is is ready to take that jump that's a successful year to me yeah then they'll be in the playoffs because i do think i mean you got to make the playoffs right with this with this talent on both sides of the, of the football i mean i i think that next step for justin especially in year three getting to the postseason and and then let the chips fall because there's a lot of good teams but i think justin can score with anybody and hopefully this defense this revamped defense can stop a lot of offenses. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, I, I just think back to last year, you know, the Colts go down to Jacksonville and get whooped, you know, and, and, and they don't make the playoffs, you know, and, and they have just so many weird games that year, the overtime loss to the Titans, like, you know, in the Colts defensively and 
I know Carson, Carson Wentz did not have a terrible year for whatever reason. He was just a culture, you know, it was a bad culture fit for him. But well, it was 27 and seven. I think he had 27 TDs and yeah, seven. Pretty good numbers. There was weird. Yeah, there were weird, you know, COVID situations with him, his unwillingness to get vaxxed, missing games there, players getting pissed off at him for that. Like that's up. But I, I just bring it up because that's just how weird wins and losses are. The Steelers had no business being in the playoffs, but they had a weird tie and they had a couple odd wins. And so they sneak in, you know, but I don't think by any stretch they would say, hey, it was a successful year. We made the postseason. No, they got destroyed in the first round of the playoffs yeah. and they did not have a good year. So like that to me is is why I just always sort of hesitate to do the is it divisional round? Is it championship round? Is it a Super Bowl? But I don't know. I yeah. just want to see the team look. I want to see the units play well. Yeah. And also tell me who's healthy in December. Right. right. It, it, who Who's healthy and, and who's rolling? Um, last question, Money. Uh, I've been a Chargers fan my whole life. It doesn't seem like there's been this much energy surrounding the organization since the LT Gates era. Do you guys feel like this is our year? <laughs> does this feel different to you? The, the our year, we don't know, right? But it does kind of feel different, right? This is the most sizzle I've felt since I've been working with the Chargers. You know, so going back to their first year here, um, you know, in 2017, Right, 2017. Yeah, this is easily the most sizzle that I felt, you know, and the most hype I felt surrounding them. You know, even following the year, you know, that they went 12 and four and won a wild card game in Baltimore. That following year, it just didn't feel the same. It was like, man, that was a lot of close games they won in weird fashion. And, you know, it, it so this feels different. This feels like on paper, this is one of the best rosters in the league. Uh, the offense has performed as one of the best units in the league. And if the D like, I just, I keep repeating myself, if the defense can, can match, you feel really good about what this team can do, but it's a stacked conference. It's a stacked division. It is not going to be easy. It will not be easy, but th that's kind of what we laid out at the top is this defense is completely different. And, and I think that's, that's a good thing when you talk about yeah. the, the players that they've brought in, um, the deficiencies they had stopping the run. And, you know, one other player I, I want to talk about that we, we talked a little bit about with Dane, but I think is going to make a really big difference this year is Isaiah Spiller. I, I really think Isaiah Spiller, in terms of controlling the clock, uh, another weapon out of the backfield who can catch the ball for Justin and somebody who can consistently spell Austin Eckler and let Austin be Austin, keep him as fresh as possible throughout the course of a 17 game season. Um, we, we said it a few weeks ago that that 2018 class with Derwin and Justin Jackson and Uchenna, um, that draft class uh, was a large reason why they got to the playoffs and they won a game. And, yeah. and I, I just feel like, you know, guys like JT Woods and perhaps Isaiah Spiller could be the and difference. Zion Johnson. And well, of course, and Zion Johnson, yeah, um, exactly. a plug and play guy. It's like we're we've already assumed he's the plug and play yeah. uh, guard for the next ten years. But I I really feel like this draft class is going to contribute. Yeah, they're and they're going to have to, you know. I mean, especially Zion, who's been drafted to be the starting right guard, you know, and and it looks like, and you know, and talking to everybody around the team, he's as advertised, you know, mature, ready to go, ready, whatever you throw at him, he's going to be able to absorb it. He's a real smart guy. And and someone that, you know, has proven it. Now he's got to slip from left to right. Um, and that's going to take a second, as he said, just to kind of get a little more comfortable and, and mirroring your your footwork and stuff. But outside of that, um, I, I'm hopeful. You know, we've been saying it. We said we said it last year with Roundtree. We said it the year before with Josh Kelly. So I'm hopeful that Spiller 
is that guy, you know, or one of those other two, or for whatever reason, if it clicks for Josh and or, or Larry, as long as one of those three or two of those three are ready to, to take some of the load off Austin, that's going to be a huge win for the Chargers. Because like you said, you know, Austin gets beat up because of all the contact he's willing to take and how strong he is uh, pound for pound with never going down on first hit. You know, he ends up getting worn out and misses a couple games here or there. So to be able to drop his snap count, you know, by 25% would be huge for this team to keep him fresh for all 17 and, and the playoffs. Yeah, we talked about the the DB competition at training camp for preseason, the running back competition as well. Um, seeing yeah. Spiller and Roundtree and Kelly carry probably the not going to carry four, so it's going to be probably not going to be uh, it's going to be interesting. All right, brother, that's it. May May nineteenth, we still got a ton to talk about, huh? Yeah, exactly. Well, two weeks we'll be talking about training camp, right? So or whatever yeah. it is, or our first uh, mini camp, first, first mini camp, exactly. Yeah. All right, that'll do it for us. Uh, Always love doing this with you, man. And I will see you next Thursday. This is Charged Weekly.